when um, when a consumer, a customer, a buyer, even just a loyal fan um, can co-own something uh, with the brand, you know, the brand owns the IP and, and the brand name and, and the consumer owns the asset, it becomes like the most powerful global affiliate program that has ever existed. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Empire. Real excited to be joined by two special guests. We've got Camilla uh, coming from Serotonin and Mojito. We've got Avery, uh, president of Vayner3, a Vayner X company. Well, welcome, Camilla and Avery. Excited to have you guys here. So excited to be here. Thank you for having us. So the backstory of this episode, um, a couple of months ago, sat down with Adam Brotman from Forum3. And he was, uh, he kind of red-pilled me on basically brands coming into crypto, coming into Web3. And I think I've had this like really biased lens from someone who kind of got scarred by the like 2016, 2017, like enterprise blockchain days where whenever I see like a big brand coming into crypto, I immediately was kind of turned off by it because because of those days five years ago. And I think this episode, I really just want to make it like, I, I would like to kind of dive a little deeper down the rabbit hole of like brands exploring Web3. Avery, you approach this from very much like, have helped a lot of web two companies um, now come like come into web three Camilla, maybe like the other side of this, which is you started very, very, very crypto native and have now started to work with some of the web two companies. I think maybe a helpful place to go would actually be to Avery. I really want to hear like your definition of how you think about just like web three in general, like what is web three and maybe how is it different from crypto? Uh, Cause I'd just be very curious about how you think about that. And then we can go deeper into the rabbit hole. Amazing. Um, so I'm really excited for this discussion. And even when we were talking about like what we should discuss here, I think Camille and I have a little bit of different perspectives, sort of shades of the same like long-term ethos, but probably approaching this from two different ways. So for context, um, listeners, I run a company, um, which is a Web3 consultancy that's part of um, a large sort of enterprise agency. We do everything from Snapchat ads to Super Bowls to you know, NFT programs and crypto advisory, all under sort of this VaynerX umbrella. And for the last 13 years, VaynerMedia, which is the core business um, within VaynerX, has been helping our client partners navigate ways to connect with their consumers. So we're obsessed with what matters to consumers and helping brands find relevance. And sometimes that means through a Web3 initiative. Sometimes that means through, you know, an Instagram ad or a TikTok or, you know, a new CRM strategy or an influencer program or a million other things. We created Vayner3 specifically to help advise um, our partners on Web3 and on this sort of next iteration of the internet. And not to correct you, Yano, but actually we don't advise Web2 companies. We advise enterprises. The vast majority of our company partners have been around for way before the internet. We talk about someone like a Johnny Walker or a Budweiser or a Pepsi. These were all founded in you know, the early 19th century. Um, so our brand partners have been around for a long time, most of the time. Sometimes we work with sort of new and emerging um, businesses like a Coinbase who obviously hasn't been around for centuries. Um, but most of the time we're working with enterprises who have established their brands over um, generations, over centuries. And we help them do what's right for growing their business. Um, and a lot of times that includes Web3. And when we were creating this you know, enterprise, wanted to hire in a lot of Web3 natives to really teach us the way, the sort of the ropes. Um, I come from being like an enterprise brand marketer, um, spent a lot of time at Target and at Google before joining Vayner on the brand side. Um, and then, you know, we work with some of the biggest companies in the world on their marketing initiatives, thinking like $100 million budgets, you know, Super Bowl ads, um, really like full funnel capability building. Um, and I got really interested in Web3 uh, during the pandemic. Um, I, you know, I'd been investing in crypto for a long time, but very passively. Like I had a Coinbase, but I actually had lost the password for like multiple years. And then I found it. I had to like do the passport thing. And like, I was like, oh, wow, that's a nice surprise. Um, okay. Like, I guess I have something to, to start with as I got into NFTs. And I think the reason that you know, I was really interested in NFTs specifically. And um, of course, Gary uh, Vaynerchuk was as well, is we really understand brand building and like how to build a community and how to build a business. And NFTs, I think because of potentially the visual aspect, the community aspect, that made a lot more sense to us than like altcoins and crypto. So we went a little bit more into this NFT realm. And of course, Gary launched the VFriends project in May of 2021, which was a huge learning experience for us. And we never like to sort of sell something that we haven't really been super hands-on with. And that gave us um, that understanding of, you know, the Ethereum blockchain, how all of this works, a lot of the technical testing that, 
you know, you don't have if you're like an outsider or sort of like complete consultant. So very interested in NFTs. Um, as we launched the company, um, a lot of our client partners were like, what are you all doing over here? We're interested in this. And they wanted to learn. I think the first thing people come to us um, and ask about is like, how do I learn about what this is and like why it matters? And at Vayner3, we take a more expansive um, sort of view on what Web3 is. We really see Web3 is the next era of connected consumer behavior on the internet. And I think there are a few things that sort of define this. First being a digital first reality for consumers at that sort of confluence of cultural relevance and technology. Empowered by an ethos of co-creation, um, Web3 is creating this more immersive, personalized and ownable internet. And I think probably this more expansive view um, is, is a little bit different than some what some of the purists would say, because we think it includes blockchain, but it also includes advanced computing and it also includes immersive realities. Because the more time people spend looking at what's actually driving, you know, tens of millions of users into mm -hmm. Roblox, it's the same thing that's driving people into NFTs. It's community, it's co-creation, and it's this sort of digital first reality. For us, we see a lot of these things kind of coming together um, instead of being sort of two parallel worlds. So that is how we define it um, at Vayner3. And, and that's kind of what we work on with our enterprise partners. Yeah, it's... um. It's funny, but there's a lot in there. You know, my background, um, as Yano said, is definitely, first of all, thrilled to be here, by the way. Um, as they say, longtime listener, first time caller. Um, and know both of you, you know, from over the years. So really fun to get together and chat. Um, you know, my, my background coming up through the Web3 world and, and that meaning sort of one of my first forays, I think it was actually one of the same moments, Yano, that you and I, through Amanda Cassate got really uh, red-pilled into the industry. Um, but it was uh, working initially for a company called Consensus, where we helped bring to market some of the core Ethereum tooling and, and grow you know, MetaMask's first million users and some of the, the tools. And it was the same era where you know, the application layer hadn't really been developed for blockchain yet. And there's this amazing use case that could unlock things, but no one really knew you know, what that would be and where it would be sort of um, with a killer application for mainstream understanding, not to mention adoption. And the first thing really was currency, but people didn't really necessarily care to own their currency outside of, you know, the use case in developing nations and remittances. Um, and so then when NFTs came around and big brands started to embrace the space and even some of the crypto native, uh, Web3 native brands that have been built in this space, um, what you can do when you actually own a digital thing for kind of the first time ever, which is what blockchain allows, gets really exciting for global brands. Because um, as Avery was saying, it just sort of changes the relationship between brand and consumer in a whole new, like kind of reimagining the DTC direct to consumer playbook. When, um, when a consumer, a customer, a buyer, even just a loyal fan um, can co-own something uh, with the brand, you know, the brand owns the IP and, and the brand name and, and the consumer owns the asset, it becomes like the most powerful global affiliate program that has ever existed. Because you have this sort of uh, network of like influencers that are also owners and able to sort of, um, you know, benefit in whatever the upside of them owning that asset is, whether it's taking it with them across the internet, potential, you know, speculative value. I think we're moving a ways away from that, the ability to collaborate more directly. Um, and so for your definition of, of Web3, I totally agree with it. And sometimes it kind of gets leaked in with people's definition of the metaverse these days, which I think, as you were saying, Avery is like a totally different thing. Like there's a great um, Harvard Business School podcast about the metaverse, and they don't even mention Web3 once, because it, it really is just the combination of your digital life together in a more immersive way um, where the platform walls kind of come down. But what Web3 is, is like that ownership layer to the metaverse and therefore that sort of interoperable uh, layer that sits across all of it. Hmm. Okay. So I want to make sure, okay, so really, really good intros there. I'd say one thing that I want to make sure we do with this conversation is like, I think there are a lot of uh, case studies that you read or like Twitter threads and it's like NFTs allow you to own, you know, we're moving to an ownership economy. We're moving to like uh, this like digital first world. And I want to make sure we get like a little more hands on than that. And so Avery, one thing I'd ask you is, uh, you know, my conversation with Adam, one of my takeaways was, all right, these are basically just loyalty programs on steroids. This is just like a 10 X better loyalty program. Camilla, you just mentioned like uh, affiliate 
programs. Like this is basically just like a super powered affiliate program. Avery, maybe I'd ask you to dig into in your conversations with brands, like why are they considering this strategy? Is it to reach a younger user base? Is it to try to go more digitally native? Is it like, look, let's just test this out and like see what kind of happens here. I'd, I'd love to hear maybe like take us into these conversations a little bit. Yeah. So I think the motivating factor um, and I'll say the motivating factor in 2021 was like, okay, I want to do something that gets headlines or I want to do something that I can monetize. The motivating factor in 2023 is much more, I want to be connected to the next generation of consumers and I want to understand this technology and how I can potentially participate and how I can understand like where this is going. Future of the internet is like incredibly important. And I think from a, you know, like everything that you read in any consumer study is like digital first reality matters more and more. Like kids today want Robux instead of uh, like physical toys. Like digital first reality is here and it's like certainly here for Gen Alpha. Web3, I think, is is sort of the culmination of all of that. And probably a contrary point to Camilla, I don't think it's all only on blockchain. Um, I think we're going to see some centralized entities play in this space as well, because there's a lot of barriers um, when we're only like limiting ourselves just to blockchain. Uh, so when, and I think blockchain will be a huge part of it. And I think it's super important, but it's not all of it um, from, from our perspective. Um, what interests brands though is consumers are here, younger consumers are here and the internet has like fundamentally changed a lot of their businesses like many times over, over the past 20 years. And they realize like, okay, great. If this next iteration of the internet, I need to be prepared. So many major CPG companies, financial services companies were really caught off. Entertainment companies were really caught off guard by, um, the, you know, massive changes that social media first, like websites and then social media enabled. So they're like, okay, I need to understand this. I think a lot of them are really looking at this as like almost an insurance policy to make sure that they're connected with that next generation of consumers. Um, I think where uh, brands in 2023 are looking is they want to make sure they don't get left behind. They want to understand like where con- where consumers are engaging, how they want to engage, and they want to sort of build with them. Um, every you know sort of piece of consumer data from these sort of 20 and under folks. Um, they want a more co-created internet and they want to participate and have a more direct relationship with brands. Sometimes that's um, manifesting in the way of like an ownable asset, but a lot of times it's more like, you know, giving product feedback, being brought into that, having that more direct um, relationship, one-to-one relationship of sort of community building. So I think that's driving in a lot of brands. Um, the second part uh, that I think is is important is how they create new business models. Um, and I want to make sure that I'm clear that this is far beyond just selling NFTs. Um, figuring out ways to monetize their digital presence and digital assets and connect with consumers in these new ways is also super important um, because people are spending less time um, in the more sort of traditional experiential places. Um, So I think connecting with consumers and and driving their business forward in a digital first reality are the two biggest like driving, Mm. driving factors. And then throw in like a hint of FOMO of like, what is that? What is Nike? Right. Get get the headline. Nike just did it. We got to do it too. Um, Yeah, exactly. There's a little bit of that for sure. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think we're also seeing like a lot of these consumer brands are about like 18 months in their education journey now. Because it kind of popped on people's radar like two years ago, maybe with some of the success of some people that came in. And as Avery said, like that additional economic, that first primary initial economic incentive of like, oh my gosh, this is essentially a generation of like the crypto nouveau riche that are spending how much per wallet on these tokens. And there was sort of that validating aspect for the Web3 community when big brands like Adidas and others came into the space. And you can kind of tell from their if you were to do like a diagnosis of their successful playbook, that they were really going after the Web3 native crowd with those launches. You know, it was the, for Adidas, for example, it was the only on-chain experience. Um, they partnered with like G-Money and Punk's Comics. So they were really going after that like native core crowd. And I think now with the maturity of education and doing some experimental projects, as Avery mentioned that they've done, like dipped a toe in, maybe launched a project, maybe it's a free claimable, like they kind of get it a little bit more now. And so I think the two bis- biggest examples of what we'll see in the next couple of years are like Nike and Starbucks, where they're not just um, selling NFT products, they're building a Web3 enabled consumer community platform. And so the first thing you do when you get to Nike's platform, for example, is you mint your free dot swoosh ENS. 
And so that's Nike getting like their own product in form of NFT into the hands, like seeding their token community, even beyond selling a digital product. And then you guys start to get into sort of those new business models that Avery spoke about, which is like bringing those NFT seeded community member into like co-collaborating on a potential future launch or co-designing a piece of the product line where they then get to share in things like you know, revenue loyalty splits um, and cool things that sort of never existed before. And so that's after years of like Nike and Starbucks, really, really exploring this technology, playing with it, understanding what it looks like. And I think a lot more brands that have sort of dipped a toe in that we'll see a lot of, um, you know, still newcomers, but also return brands that really get it now and get what this can be other than just a new digital product line. Although that's still going to be very important, but there's so much more you can do with it. Hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think what I would probably like build is Nike and Starbucks are two of like the most the biggest and like most loved consumer brands. Like there are very few uh, consumer brands that like you're going to download an app to have on your phone and Nike and Starbucks are are those right. Like you're not going to do that for your like favorite like sparkling water brands. That's just like isn't real. Right. Um, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. San Pellegrino. Santa's got his San Pellegrino uh, mobile. They just got got the bubbles right. Um, I'm a huge sparkling, like I'm a massive sparkling water consumer and I wouldn't download an app for that, right? <laughs> but um, uh, I think that for some really top tier brands, that's going to be a reality. For But for a lot of them, um, and you all will remember, or many of your listeners might remember, um, the boom of like when every company had to have an app and like then there was like an app for like yeah. every little thing. It's like, this is the hair scrunchie app. And then it kind of was like, why does everyone need an app? Um, I think the sort of participation is probably going to be more likely for like the vast majority of brands is participating in an environment where people are already spending their time. One of the biggest, um, you know, challenges I think we have with these like on-chain experiences is it's a small group of like Web3 native power users that isn't really growing very quickly. So if you're a brand who's trying to reach billions of people, you need to develop experiences that billions of people can actually participate in. And um, while I think there was like a lot of early success, including a lot of our, our the work that we did with different brands in sort of targeting these Web3 native um, communities, I don't think that that's going to be the method that most brands sort of lean into in the future. Outside yeah. of like luxury and scarcity, like that can make sense. And like there is that crypto nouveau reach crowd and there are a few hundred thousand of them. Um, so it could be interesting for sort of small pilots. I think the future will far more be in the direction of building something that, you know, millions of users mm. can experience simultaneously and can enjoy. Um, and, you know, I think Nike's done a great job with Dot Swoosh, but they've also done a great job with Nike landed Roblox, where they've had, you know, 100 million users, which is just like a scale that would be unfathomable for something like dot swoosh at this stage. So I think sort of seeing those strategies as one um, is is kind of interesting to think about how they're appealing to this sort of younger generation of consumers in immersive digital experiences and digital products as they also build this sort of Web3 native experience, which is aimed at people who are either crypto native or who are open to being sort of um, onboarded through Nike's dot swoosh identity product. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I know Avery and I have just mainly playing ping pong if you have another question, but to that point, actually, and this is what I would love to maybe dive into now or at a later point when we get into more of the tech side. But I think that's actually where we sometimes differ in our opinions is that I actually do think ownership really matters of these assets. And so the blockchain element is crucial while like the, the consumer behavior and the billions, what is it? Three billion and five billion respectively for like Fort, uh, for Roblox and, and, and Fortnite. It's very real, the consumer habits there. And that generation just kind of gets like having a digital thing, but it, they don't own that, right? That's in a walled mm-hmm. garden within the platform and they can't really take it with their, with them anywhere they go. Um, and so I agree, you know, Nike's and Starbucks. Starbucks is one of the biggest loyalty programs in the world already that they're able to weave Web3 into and Nike as a beloved co- consumer brand. But I think that this model actually unlocks the whole like thousand true fans model. Um, and I don't think that we will need to download an app for every brand that we engage with. Maybe if it's a more dynamic consumer uh, community platform like Nike's building for sure, because there's other experiences there. But even just... Um, sort of, again, for the whoever it may be, the Pellegrino fans or like, you know, I know you're a big Fred again fan, like seeding that loyal community just with a token, whether it's an earnable or a free giveaway or a purchased NFT, then the fact that you can take that with you everywhere you go, I think 
um, like interoperability is essentially going to become synonymous with digital ownership because bringing that like data backpack with you of all the things you own across different programs will just seem so obvious in retrospect. And so someone can buy something now um, that's, you know, either in a um, brand custodial wallet or that's off chain and kind of experience digital ownership for the first time. But the actual benefits of it, like bringing it with you wherever you go and seeing unlocks other places, the collaboration opportunities available, like that's the real killer app here because otherwise you don't really need crypto. You don't really need blockchain mm. for it to own something. Does, does that mean in some way like worry brands? Because like I think of uh, airline credits, right? Which is terrible, right? An airline ticket in and of itself, like you want to make changes. <laughs> Like you, if you want to use United points, I guess you can have the United American Express card and then you could, they have certain relationship with some brands, but they never want you to actually leave their ecosystem. And when you talk about portability, like I agree with you from a consumer standpoint, we would all love for our points to be redeemable everywhere, anywhere, but that's not the case. Um, and so I'm curious in these conversations with brands, like, do they see this as a threat where as soon as you open the consumer's eyes to this ownership and portability, does that somehow worry them or do they just accept their existing model? Exactly. Yeah. That, that, that's what I'm trying yeah. to get at. I've seen it. If I take, I, I've seen it. Uh, I don't think I've heard anyone see it as a threat because then it only gets more exciting <clears> on <throat> how you can evangelize the brand in other places. So like sometimes the example I use when I sort of explain this to my parents or something, it's like, imagine going to a Yankees game at Yankee Stadium and buying a Yankees baseball hat, um, but you can only wear it in the stadium. So like you come inside, everyone sees you're a fan, but like, of course you are, that's why you're there. You might get a discount for having that hat or buying that hat, like a discount on fries or something in the stadium within the Yankees universe. But you can't like wear it when you go travel to Nairobi and get that, you know, other Yankees fan. Oh, my gosh, you're also a Yankees fan connection that you bring it to another place with you when you go there. Or like, let's say Chipotle is having a free giveaway, free burrito to anyone that walks into their store with a Yankees hat because they love Yankees fans and they love the Yankees. Um, like, that's great. But again, you can't take that hat out of Yankee Stadium. So you can't even like bring it to with you to Chipotle to get that benefit. And that's kind of the cool part, like that brand collaboration moment where you really do need to sort of prove like on-chain ownership of whatever that thing might be, um, whether you've earned it or, free, or interacted in any way with the brand where you've sort of gotten that, that, that token. Um, is sort of that's sort of the the cool part of the unlock right now the benefit is really just to be able to kind of sell it on secondary markets and speculate on it and that's when people when they buy their first nft like the reddit nft onboarding experience i think was so brilliant because they put a little they abstracted away a little bit of that like private key management really janky user experience at the moment but then if you wanted to take advantage of parts of it being an actual blockchain based asset like the composability to bring it into you know, an open sea, a secondary market, then you would take that step. And right now that's kind of the only real driving incentive for, for consumers to do. But once the other experiences get exciting and you have to ha sort of have that thing in, in a wallet that's yours and controlled by you, then I think we start to see consumers starting to care about actual digital, digital, owner digital ownership in a way that they don't necessarily think they have to today. Yeah, Santi, um, I think that's a, it's a really good question. Um, and I think what you're getting at is sort of the incentive, right? I think brands are always, always down to do collaborations. Like we do collaborations all the time of physical products, you know, it creates cultural relevance. It's actually good for both parties in like almost all cases. So I think everybody gets that collaboration. And um, as Camille is talking about having, um, you know, doing an NFT that allows you to have a customized experience on a website or a customized discount, like that's pretty amazing. And I think in the future, that's really interesting. But these are very theoretical use cases right now. Um, or they're just such a tiny size that it's not um, it's not so meaningful yet. Um, I think that's the bigger question and, and pushback um, and like consideration is like, this is amazing for 2,000 people, but I'm trying to reach 2 billion people, Avery. So I don't know if this is where we should be investing. You know, like how can we make this a, a bigger uh, impact a, a greater number of consumers is like more of the challenge. Um, and then I don't think they, uh, I, I think there's opportunities when they would want to do it. So it's collaborative and can be a one plus one equals 11, but probably not in all cases. 
um, Camille called out Reddit, so I'll give a shout out. Um, you know, some of the stuff that we've done with Reddit um, has been published, like for example, the ABCs of NFTs. I think that's a really interesting experience that um, is, is in my opinion, the best brand um, NFT sort of program that's been built to date because it has sort of tiers of free, of engagement based, of commercial based. Um, and it was well received by their fans. So if you actually like read on Reddit, like, you know, consumer research, um, their fans did not want NFTs. People who use Reddit were like, I hate NFTs. Please don't, you know, give me this shit. Um, but they love snooze and they love um, interacting with other Redditors. And their, their platform is actually like very suited for like Web3 because it is sort of this co-created community um, that is like the ethos of Reddit. And of course, from you know, a leadership perspective, we have folks like Alexis who are really into this um, Web3 ecosystem. So I think they created something that was engaging to their core consumers. And that I think really matters. Because when I look at a lot of the brand programs that have been launched to date, this all the successful ones have been targeted towards Web3 natives. And then they've been successful with Web3 natives um, um, or varying degrees of, of successful with Web3 natives. I love that Reddit actually did something that was you know built for their community um, to do something interesting. The reality is very few people in their community are moving those assets off of Reddit yet. But to Camilla's point, they're building something where they can do that in the future. And I think that is really interesting because they're doing something that's interesting for their consumers today while building this um, opportunity to move into interesting things in the future. So look out for for more potential collaborations and, and stuff there because I think Reddit is uh, Reddit's doing a lot of things right. I guess for brands listening, I'd love if you could share more of the findings, like in terms of engagement, retention. I mean, these are things that every brand cares about, you know, lifetime value of the customer, like did it meaningfully increase uh, or what were some of the other kind of metrics that the Reddit team or the pilot kind of um, showed? I don't think that they've shared any of that data publicly, um, at least that, that I've seen um, outside of the number of unique wallets created, which anyone can see because it's on Polygon. I think it's over 6 million um, at this point. Reddit created uh, 6 million new, new wallets? Yeah. Wow, that's nuts. Hmm. Yeah, which is amazing. Um, the one thing I'll say though, I, think, I think there's about 3,000, sorry, 3 million wallets uh, created on, or like on OpenSea at the moment. So to think about the scale of that is really awesome. There were 6 million Redditors who opened a crypto wallet or a it's web I will say they might not have known they were doing that. It's a custodial situation. If you go yeah, through the user really flow, you'll see, yeah. you'll see like that a, it's not marketed as creating a wallet. Huh. It's a great what? Trojan horse strategy. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, that um, that's kind of like my point, right? Is And even 6 million, by the way, if you look at the total number of Redditors, I think it's like 100 million. So it's still like a pretty small percentage. We need to fact check that, but it's it's a lot of millions. I want to say triple digit millions. But these people are actually um, engaging with Reddit in this new way, which then they can move off platform if they'd like to do that. Though the number of people moving it off platform is actually very, very small um, right now. It could be larger in the future. And I think that's a really smart strategy um, for, for brands. Another one I'd give a shout out to is DraftKings. DraftKings also, I think, has done uh, kind of a similar playbook where they created an experience within their own sort of existing DraftKings ecosystem. Again, they have signed in people. It's literally a sports betting platform. So there's a lot in common with people who uh, might be interested in the NFT ecosystem and world. And they've tested a bunch of different things from Rainmakers, which is like a whole program they did to their marketplace. Um, and they've also made it really easy for their community to participate in like a way that feels native to DraftKings users, which I love. Hey everyone, quick break from Empire to tell you about another BlockWorks channel that I know you're gonna love. I've been in crypto full time for five years and have always struggled with one thing, which is keeping up with the next big trend. As soon as I wrap my head around MEV, we're on to app chains. As soon as I wrap my head around app chains, we're on to liquid staking derivatives. I'm sure you've been there. BlockWorks Research has solved that problem for me. Our team puts research, data, governance, proposal updates, models, and more into one really easy to use platform so I can always stay ahead of the curve. If I don't understand something, for example, I just pull up the platform, I can search for an L1, I can search for a protocol, pull up the platform at blockworksresearch.com, I search the term, there's always an amazing amount of insight in a really consumable way. 
right now you can subscribe to the platform. It's 2,500 bucks a year or 900 bucks a quarter. Hopefully you can uh, make more than $208 a month by using the platform. If you can't, you're probably in the wrong business. But if you're not ready to subscribe to the platform today, you can subscribe to the research team's free newsletter. Uh, you can follow their Twitter handles today. Links in the show notes. Trust me, once you do that, you're gonna wanna subscribe to the platform. If you are ready to, uh, to subscribe right now, I got you guys with a little hookup. Empire listeners get a 10% discount for the first 50 people who use the code Empire10. Got your back. Check out the links in the, sh- in the description to find out more. Now, let's get back to the show. Avery, can you just walk us through a couple of the examples and then, um, Camille, I, I want to ask you a similar question to you actually, but like the thing, like what, what are brands actually, when you kind of list out, like a brand comes to you, they're like, Avery, we, we want to build a web three strategy. And you're like, okay, let's do it. And they're like, okay, well, what, what, what can we do? And like, I guess the things that come to mind for me are like loyalty programs, um, like, uh, asset backed tokens. Like you can buy this. And I think, uh, I just saw Louis Vuitton did this today. Uh, connect a wallet across like, you know, you go to like Swoosh or Swoosh um, and you can like connect a wallet, uh, like brand hosted secondary marketplaces. Like what is your kind of like menu of options that you give to the brand and how do you think about those? Yeah. So um, again, in sort of this more expansive definition, we think about the technology as being blockchain as extended reality or as sort of advanced computing. And the consumer use case is like crypto, it's NFTs, it's social gaming, it's immersive experiences, or it's potentially even like in the direction of like AI marketing, that's again, where um, the consumer is the creator. Uh, And then what they can do in terms of outcomes is like loyalty and rewards, um, D2C community building, gather data and insights, engagement and cultural relevance. We try to not have things like off the shelf. Um, I think we always want to like really be looking at what the brand is trying to do, what their objectives are, and then figure out how we can do something that aligns with those objectives, what consumers care about, and what's really interesting in this Web3 technology. Um, I think like Web3 loyalty is a big buzzword that we've been sort of hearing about. And Starbucks and Nike are both like really pioneering in this space. Um, But we haven't yet seen that hit like effective like it hasn't hit yet, right? It's like super early days. It's too early to say if this has been um, not like wildly successful or not. We were talking about asset um, backed tokens, I think is a real use case within luxury. Like, you know, we've done um, some programs that are around this, especially in like the high end spirits category where access um, to these spirits is actually hard in like real life. You have to, there's like a whole gray market thing. If anyone's seen sour grapes, you know what I'm talking about. But Getting uh, getting like fine wines and spirits like from the source is actually like an, an actual consumer challenge and problem. So NFTs can do that, and um, there's some interesting partners that we've worked with. So we've done this with a lot of the brands in the Diageo family, um, with Robert Mondavi, um, and that's been a really interesting use case uh, that has sort of been proven. I think the community building aspect is one thing that we're going to be really leaning into in 2023. Um, as uh, using these groups for like focus groups. We've spent a lot of money on consumer focus groups um, and like really leveraging Web3 to unlock uh, a community Mm -hmm. that can serve as an insights engine, I think is going to be massive. And then of course, like the sort of cultural relevant pieces is, you know, some of that is like very subjective, but depending on the brand and what they stand for, matching them up with the appropriate things to drive a moment of cultural relevance um, that connects into Web3, I think is is a really good place for a lot of brands to start. Yeah. And I would say in the brands we've worked with as well, it's kind of span, span the gamut of, um, you know, there's so many things within here that we're talking about. You know, for high-end luxury items, we've really seen kind of take off as one of the killer use cases, right? Like digital art, fine art. Um, that is sort of a very different thing than building out like a mass uh, community engagement platform. Um, and so we've worked with, you know, Sotheby's to help build out the, their whole platform and their entrance into this space um, with Pace Gallery. Um, and that's really focusing on that part of um, that high end part of the market where, you know, these tokenized um, representation of a physical item or just a tokenized digital art that you can own for the first time. Um, that's a really I'm, I think it's part of the reason why it's one of the first use cases that the world has kind of understood about it, because it makes a lot of sense for traditionally illiquid or untransparent markets. Um, and we're also excited to announce last, next month um, one of those redeemable sort of use cases with a publicly traded global leader in high end spirits, because things that sort of trade freely 
kind of above their retail price based on demand or speculation or scarcity, this asset makes as a as a use case, this text makes so much sense. Um, and then I think that's just like a very different category than building out like a um, high touch, low cost, maybe even an earnable or free giveaway um, sort of thing, like what Nike and Starbucks are doing that is supposed to bring people back to your brand and your platform and engage in it a lot over time. Um, in that way, that's kind of low cost for brands like that, uh, that um, cohort you're putting together, Avery, is going to be so interesting because it becomes that collective consumerism where like fans of a brand start talking to each other in a more bi-directional way than they can on social, which is sort of like more unidirectional or how brands are used to communicating with like announcements to their consumers or announcements out to the wild. Um, and of course, there's chat rooms and things out there for like super hardcore fans of like SB Dunks or whatever it might be. But owning a little piece of the brand together and a token that kind of can bring you together in the same place creates this form of community collaboration that is quite like net new for brands. Hmm. I guess both of you are perhaps uh, the two people in crypto that are closest to this helping brands navigate Web3 and strategy. I'm curious, like, I have two questions. One is, what what are some of the things that you would like brands to do and explore and they haven't done whether it for some reason they are holding back or they're cautious or they, it's too early but what are the things that you would love a brand to do this year that you haven't seen I, I'll yeah go ahead <laughs> yeah because i pitched this to so many of my clients and they're all like no like um, you guys both like jumped out of your seat ready yeah. to answer this one so I'm, uh, yeah um <laughs> i'll i'll share one idea that we've had and i think i pitched it to like all of the vayner clients and gary like several times so um it, please someone take this idea and actually go materialize it i would love to like build launch a net new brand so first i want to give listeners some context you know fortune 500s do a lot of acquisition of sort of new um, innovation brands is, is sort of how they frame it. It's like, hey, who like really leaned into using this platform? Let's acquire them so we get these learnings. This is a you know huge thing, and a lot of in the CPG world, they'll sell for like many multiples. So I think it'd be pretty amazing instead of like you know buying someone who's already doing it, we actually build launch a new innovation brand internally at a big company that is sort of uh, based on Web three from the beginning. So let's just say it could be it's could be a sparkling water brand, right? We've been talking about sparkling water. How cool would it be to like get, you know, however many people want to be part of this as the focus group, as the evangelists, um, whether it's through an NFT or a token to like really launch this as um, a consumer built brand that can prove that this can be sort of done. Obviously, you have some logistical considerations to think about, like weight and shipping and formulation and all of that. But I think that a lot of the next um, sort of unicorn or next biggest brands will be built through this ethos of co-creation. Um, and I would love to see a Fortune 500 go and like actually spend a couple million dollars to actually go and develop and launch one of these in their own um, ecosystem. The reason why this hasn't happened, um, besides the fact that it's very early and it's a very speculative use case, um, it certainly hasn't been proven yet. I think there's a lot of apprehension around regulation. And um, I think that uh, is holding back a lot of uh, publicly traded companies from making a move into this space in a way, in a way that could be perceived as commercial. Um, that's why a lot of our uh, brand partners do things for free. They don't take any royalties because there's still a lack of clarity around this regulation that if you're a big target, you've just got to be a lot more careful than if you're a small startup who has a great idea Um so I think that's the reason that it hasn't happened yet, but I am hoping we can make it happen this year. And I want to add that I think that's a very legitimate concern, and I completely understand that perspective. Like, it's not worth it to, you know, make $2 million and lose 40 in a fine because, you know, the SEC wants to make an example out of someone. Yeah. And I mean, from the tech perspective, at least, you know, a lot of that depends on what the product is, what you're promising, what the market for it is. But certainly for us on the Mojito side, you know, in building out... Um, we have sort of an, our fully on-chain offering, and then we also have sort of a semi-custodial wallet solution for new buyers. And so in short, depending on the brand's internal sort of setup and, and, and legal qualification, we have uh, sort of a license from the creator to sell an NFT on the customer's behalf. And so to handle those fiat payments, those OFAC checks, um, the sanction checks, the tax calculating and filing, et cetera. So like all of those details that are becoming increasingly important as brands enter, 
Um, I think, and we'll see more and more f- folks paying attention to that over time, regardless of what they're bringing into the market, um, if it has any value at all. Um, it's sort of, you know, how do you take on that risk and, and how do you work with a partner that can sort of help build that out? Um, but back to the fun part of what do we want to see brands do in the space or what do we think is sort of misunderstood? Um, I'm going to start sort of, I guess, two things. One is it blows my mind that we don't see more brands owning um, their own branded secondary market. Um, a lot of brands have focused on how do they get that initial NFT into the hands of their consumer, whether it's, again, free or an auction or an item for purchase. It's sort of a lot of emphasis on on seeding that that NFT, that token product into the hands of, of their community, whether it's Web3 native or, or new. Um, and I think you know, this is the direct-to-consumer revolution that this tech offers. Why not own that entire experience for your customer um, and that secondary market and then offer the trustworthiness, the community interaction, be able to display your product however it should be seen, even on a peer-to-peer secondary market? I mean, we all, I think, spend, you know, at least have spent some hours on OpenSea in these marketplaces where it's sort of the everything store, where in one place you're looking at, you know, Real estate, physical real estate, metaverse real estate, um, gaming assets, amazing digital art pieces, uh, collectible and consumables, like all redeemables, all these things in one place. So brands really owning that full experience. And then by owning the secondary, you can own sort of everything that comes next, which is like those gates. What do you put behind it? Is it an exclusive content? Is it an exclusive e-commerce experience? Is it an interaction forum with each other and sort of get away again from the third-party channels of like Discord and Telegram where a lot of these brands flocked initially? And so think of it, thinking of it more as like your Web3 home base with that initial mint moment, branded secondary, which I think we're going to see a lot more of in the future. And then how do you bring your consumer into that like collaboration element, which is what this tech really offers? Um, and I think Melissa, kind just of, to, just, just to yeah, yeah. make sure I get it. Like, so I went to, I went to the Porsche website when they did their mint and it was like nft.porsche.com. And then it was kind of astonishing to me. The call to action was go over to OpenSea. Yeah. So what you're saying is like, you should keep them on, on the Porsche website is what you're saying. Of course. Cause then yeah. they can also offer 0% platform fees. Like they don't yeah. see any of the secondary marketplace of platform fees. Their consumers get hurt by that because they have to pay oh, yeah. that. I think it was largely unsuccessful launch. I mean, Jason, you're not going to go to uh, Craigslist to buy a Porsche GT3. You know, it's it's just <laughs> it was so off brand. And you surprisingly see it in a lot of global brands that have entered. And you go, and they either don't even link out to OpenSea, and you kind of have to get there yourself. Um, but I think that that can really change the, this sort of whole experience and unlocking that education journey too for what these assets can can be and 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 that sort of interoperability unlock secondary markets being one of them. Um, and kind of related to that, and Avery, I'd love to know your thoughts coming more from the from the digital marketing world. But the data piece for me is just so fascinating. Um, because, you know, they always say, and that's sort of the, the benefit of why brands have been based direct to consumer, because you can own so much data about your customer, you know, age, date, how much they've spent in your platform, where they're based, roughly how active they are in your platform. I mean, it's funny how powerful that is, yet how it's kind of affected trust in the era that we know interacting with brands. I mean, every website we go to and we have to like approve or disapprove the cookies on the site, like it just feels like it's weird vibes. That, and then that's at a trusted brand site. And that's mostly managed by a third-party data service. And that's mostly to the benefit of ad targeting, not things like hyper-customized experience next time I visit that platform. Um, and like... Wanna, yeah. Go ahead. No, please. I was, uh, that's something that I, I always want to get your perspective on, which is when you're pitching to these brands, like... Obviously, like cookies are kind of dead or increasingly like if you're in Europe, it's, it's, it's very difficult, like that pop up you talk about. But like, why, why haven't we seen like, is there any reason why we're not going to see any store that you walk into scan with your phone, a QR code, get a free NFT, which just represents that you were in the store um, and then maybe get some perks of personalization because they'll scan your wallet. They've seen exactly what you bought. They've seen, ex- you know, your size four of whatever brand they already know. And then the rep gets alerted. Like it's a personalization experience, not so much advertising. They can offer you perks. Uh, like I know it's, and some people in crypto look at that and say, oh my God, like this is very, this is like panop- panopticon. This is, you know, big brother. 
But the reality is like NFTs are like a perfect cookie. So what do we do with that yeah. is kind of the question. I think, um, so I'm also obsessed with like NFTs as receipts, especially for luxury items. I love that. The barrier to that is honestly consumer adoption. Like if more people had a wallet, then like more brands would do it. it. We've actually looked into this for several of our like clients and the adoption is too low right now for it to really be meaningful. And like, we actually like do consumer studies, this type of thing. And it's actually confusing to people. And it's something that they don't want right now, broadly. Um, I think that uh, has the opportunity to change, like, especially through more light touch things, whether it's a badge or a PO app or something like that. That's mm -hmm. a little bit more of like an easier onboarding. But I think the biggest barrier to what you just talked about is the total number of wallets who are active or people who think that, you know, especially when you get into like demographics beyond crypto bros, it's a pretty small number of people who are like, yes, that seems like something I would want to do right now when I'm at a store yeah. shopping for something. Um, of course, I'm very bullish on this and I think it, you, it, it'll happen, but we have to do it in such a way that consumers actually want that. And they think it's a positive experience because Right now, um, you know, I, I worked at Google and like, I remember in 2014, we were already like, oh, the cookie is dead. Like why, mm -hmm. like if this was like a super imperfect form of measurement and NFTs, I think that's one of the biggest unlocks is a better understanding of your consumer and what they're doing across the internet. Of course, this has to be something that they get a benefit out of too. It has to be mutually beneficial. It can't just be like, here's this brand like snooping on all of your digital behavior. Um, there has to be some like perk to it for the consumer. But in order for brands to like invest in, in developing these out at like scale, there also has to be consumer adoption, consumer interest. Um, they have to be getting something out of it that's like desirable um, because the current ecosystem um, isn't that easy for, uh, for normal consumers to sort of participate in or see value in. Yeah. Yet. And I actually, I actually think that's where it, we're also headed. Like I think these like brands doing free NFT giveaways or having to be like a PO app or tied to a purchase in some way is so brilliant because brands don't really understand the Web3 data set fully yet, where they're used to the data they, they know. But in Web3, you can see, in theory, like all of that wallet spending habits across platform, all their brand affinities, how active it is, how old it is, how new it is, anything else it does, um, and maintain anonymity of the actual user itself in a cool way. Um, and so, so far, all those cookies and a lot of that brand data, it's, it's really mostly used for ad sales and targeting, which like the brand, I guess, benefits financially from, but doesn't like love. It's not, and, and, and f even with digital, um, platforms across Twitter and Instagram, like that followership, that digital followership, again, is mostly monetized through ad sales and ad revenue. But when consumers sort of that NFT becomes cookies, as you said, Zonti, like brands can then actually bring value back to the consumer in that customized experience or by offering gated benefits, you know, gated access, gated discounts, whatever it might look like, then you can actually sort of use that, that data in a way that like it feels much more genuine to the brand and way stickier and beneficial for the consumer. And it's the classic, like it's cheaper to retain your most loyal customers than it is to get new ones. And so you can actually use this as a way to sort of with a, like, you know, it has to be managed and teams have to set up, uh, be set up to, to really do this. Um, but in a way that's actually pretty low cost for the brand to offer that customized experience um, versus what they're doing today with sort of the cookie thing. <laughs> hmm. Can we get into um, a little bit about the tech stack? Like, I'm just curious. I know, Camilla, you, you all have obviously Mojito, which which helps to do this. Um, a, so it, I'm, I'm assuming one of your answers, Camilla, is like the uh, is obviously to use Mojito. But I'm also curious to get your take on like EVM chains versus non-EVM and stuff like that. Maybe Avery, I'll go to you to, to start here. And then Camilla, we can go to you is like, what is the what is the tech stack people are using here? Like, what are the brands and like maybe a good time to plug like startups you've enjoyed working with? I'm just, I'm just super curious, like who's working in this space and who's who do you like working with so far here? For sure. So we work with a, a ton of different firms. Like we really, Vayner doesn't have any in-house technology that we sell to our clients. And that's sort of by design and intentional because we want to be unbiased consultants who can recommend the right thing for the right partner. And like there isn't just one sort of size fits all from our perspective. Um, so I'll start with, um, I'll, 
I'll start with, uh, let's talk about the chains first. I think broadly, um, a lot of chains are being very active in their business development efforts for enterprises. And we've talked a lot about brands and, you know, at Vayner, we do work with a lot of brands, mostly Fortune 500, but we also work with like associations and talent and these like sometimes governments, other groups that are like also pretty large scale. Chains have really surprised me in their business development efforts over the past, um, I'd say like last 12 months with being really active in terms of incentivizing some of these enterprises to adopt their chains. We almost everything we've done has been um, on Ethereum or an EVM compatible um, option, but I think there are some like real plays that other um, other companies are making. We've done stuff with Dapper, we've done stuff with Solana, excuse me, Dapper with Flow and Solana as well. Um, so th those are kind of like where we're focused. Um, I think that EVM um, is broadly makes sense for almost everyone, but there might be specific use cases. For example, we're working on something with the NFL and Bud Light. NFL already had their audience on Flow, so it just made sense for us to design this Pick'em program, which was like very, very successful, to be on um, on Flow. And, and we worked with a developer partner there um, who kind of helped build the experience and the, the game mechanics. Um, other sort of like one-stop shops, um, I think, are increasingly interesting for brands who... Um, want more of a turnkey solution. Big shout out to the guys at MoonPay and what they're doing, which really simplifies um, a lot of this and is easy for brands to understand. They provide this sort of custodial wallet. They provide a minting experience through Hypermint. And obviously they have their core business, which is around sort of like uh, crypto. And then they have the concierge offering. I think they've been very active um, in their uh, business development efforts um, as well. We've got the great folks at Mojito. I'll, I'll let Camilla sort of speak to all the stuff that they're doing. Um, and I think that's kind of where like most brands are gravitating. Then I'd also bucket into the like brands who want to kind of go all in and build their own stack. And that means you are going to need to be able to custody crypto, um, maybe own your like own your own NFTs. Obviously, you need like some multi-sig wallets. Um, I think the Ledger team has done a great job with providing um, some really excellent like enterprise solutions for a lot of our partners, and we've really enjoyed working with them. Um, that's been great. Uh, so building your own stack requires some element of hiring developers or training your in-house developers and then getting a couple of pieces as part of your Web3 stack, um, which I think is like the folks who are all in. Um, and then last but not least, I'll, I'll have a bucket for what I call the dabblers of brands who want to dabble to do something um, and want, might be interested in an activation or experience. They might be working with more of a licensing marketplace kind of a vibe, a one of, a recur, um, those uh, nifty gateway um, where they are just sort of a participant in an existing marketplace. And super rare sort of falls in this bucket as well. Marketplaces who are working with brands to kind of host that experience for them, um, which might be the right sort of first step. And we've done a lot of stuff there, like uh, shout out to, to the nifty gateway guys. They've been great partners to us and helping with some of that. OpenSea does a similar service. Um, where you can launch something on their marketplace without being needing to sort of develop your own tech stack. And then you also have sort of like point solutions like a PO app or a token proof that a brand may work with um, on something that is, you know, they, they don't need to develop a whole Web3 web stack. Maybe they want to do a part of it and using some of those point solutions can make sense. So that's how I probably bucket it is like the one-stop shops, um, the yeah. build your owns, um, the marketplaces where you, the point solutions where you can kind of participate. Camilla, can we specifically get your take on, um, I really want to get your take on like EVM chains versus non-EVM chains, because mm -hmm. I would say I am like thoroughly in the bucket of EVM chains. Um, but I still see like flow doing a lot. I, I still see like brands choosing flow and like, obviously, I don't know what that deal looked like for why doodles just chose flow, but I'm sure there was something going on there. Like, I still see people choosing some of these non-EVM chains, which seems kind of like a short-sighted move, but I could be totally wrong there. So I, I, I'm curious to get your take. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for those who are listening, uh, EVM chains mean sort of the Ethereum ecosystem, Ethereum virtual machine compatible, meaning things that are compatible quite seamlessly with ETH. Um, Poly Polygon being one of the leaders there, um, there's some exciting activity on some layer two blockchains like um, Arbitrum for NFTs recently, but basically I, I, so, and why, well, let me start here where I do believe in a multi-chain future, but I think the reality of the infrastructure to safely bridge across, um, and move between these, uh, 
these layer one blockchains is actually a bit farther away than we think. Um, and so the benefits that you get from the Ethereum virtual machine compatible EVM compatible world is that it's kind of the New York City right now. It definitely has, and I love looking at the data of like when we talk about this and we talk about the how big is the user base we're actually talking about. Um, and even just for the last month of January, we just pulled all of this for our very data heavy newsletter that's coming out. But even for the month of January, there's um, you know 430 uh, year to date wallets, active wallets um, interacting with NFTs on Ethereum. So that's like a little less than half a million. Um, it's about the same, a little bit more, in fact, for Polygon for the year so far. Um, and then you see a big dip off for non-EVM chains like Solana, um, BNB chain. I think there's like 35,000 active wallets this month. Um, Tezos even less at 20,000. Um, and then Flow, uh, which you mentioned, Yano, has 18,000 active wallets but, uh, for this year to date. I guess yeah. on this point, like we talked about Arbitrum creating like single-handedly 6 million New signups, mind you, like maybe they're not active, I would argue. No, sorry, Reddit. It's Reddit. Sorry, Re Reddit, Reddit. So, <laughs> so like, yes, I agree with you. Or else, just like to your point, though, if it were Arbitrum, that's exactly where we'd be looking. Yeah. Um, at least on the Vayner side. We go where people are interested in shit. And that's like the reason why we're interested yeah. in, yeah. Yeah. I guess the point I'm trying to make is as an EVM quasi maxi, just because that's where I invest most of my capital, most of my portfolio companies are, I mean, Imagine a scenario where a brand deploys on Avalanche or like Solana and creates like 20 million wallets. And then some like, does that like pose a serious threat to Ethereum, the ecosystem or like Flow, for instance, like, because we talk a lot about like, yes, Ethereum has the developer mindshare, but I mean, we're talking like very small numbers. Like this is like, we're all, yeah, and, but it's like a, yeah, for sure. And, and and the numbers we just talked about is really, as I said, like active wallets. And, you know, you can look into to volume numbers as well, which are really easy to find. But some of the other reasons that I think we're all preaching to the choir here is like semi-EVM maxis is it's also where most of the tooling lives. Like why it's sort of the New York City, Tokyo, Los Angeles combined of NFTs is because you can do stuff there. Like you can take your NFTs to different places. You can take them into... Open world's like Decentraland, although it doesn't have a ton of active users at the moment. Like there's so much being built on top. It's like, what does that developer ecosystem mean, Sanji? Like it means that a lot of people are building stuff, um, cinemas, shops, like whatever it might be, the metaphorical equivalent, like that's that development's really happening on, on the EVM compatible world right now, uh, which is why we send our brands there as well. And which is why we're um, our tech stack is is very focused on EVM compatibility at the moment. And there's also then the question of what is the difference in terms of just like the decentralization and the longevity of some of these chains? Um, and, you know, I'm biased because I sort of grew up in the early Ethereum ecosystem um, when the biggest new name on the block was EOS. And everyone was like, oh, my gosh, this is another L1. This was also during the era of the Tezos token sale in 2017. And everyone was sort of, it was the battle of the L1s. And then you really realize that like decentralization really matters. Um, and not having your blockchain stop potentially for a couple of days uh, or for a couple of hours um, to, to fix itself. Um, and I mean, we've spoken to brands, you know, big sports teams that launched through FTX NFT platform on Solana. And those are now locked. Like they're, it sucks. Their consumer, like their NFTs are now locked there. Um, and so who's to say, like, it, it, this infrastructure is very early and these amazing names and amazing teams behind some of these other blockchains. Um, again, like, I, I do believe in a, in a multi-chain future, but, and I'm, you know, hope that I, I, I know these teams and even, even invest in some of them, but I, who knows to say who's going to be around in the future, but EVM compatibility seems to have the most case against it and has been through the most sort of tests and trials and tribulations that it's a pretty good bet for these brands to build their home and start launching their assets. And just to make the point clear, when you say decentralization matters, totally agree with you. Does the, does that resonate with when in the criteria of brands when they're evaluating chain, does that ever come up or do you, do you emphasize that? Yeah. And I'd love to hear every answer for like, it, it's kind of been a meme in web three, like, oh, is it decentralized? Decentralization matters. 
And folks that have been in the industry for long enough have unfortunately learned that it's not like that it's not just a marketing tactic, but that it's actually really important. And I think, you know, in the last couple of months, it's not been a great era for crypto with FTX and some of these headlines that are sort of making people think, you know, is this even is this whole industry just a little bit too early for us to get into? And so I think like with moments like FTX, it has nothing intrinsically to do with crypto or blockchain, but does have to do with custody and and ownership. Um, I think they're starting to realize that uh, these are important topics, but it's still in that early phase of education about them. Hmm. Yeah, um, I think it's uh, it's loaded, right? And it's very nuanced. Um, I think, you know, we, for one, same point on multi-chain future. I think the future is going to be multi-chain and there's very easy bridges you can build. Like we've done this like many times over. If anyone, you know, is familiar with um, book games, um, that was actually Unbeatable X. And that was like a thing that you, know, you can build a little bridge. Even that sort of flow project I was just talking about um, uh, with Bud Light and the NFL, we built a bridge from Ethereum. So there are easy things that you can sort of do. Um, so I don't think it's the end of the world um, if a brand feels very compelled for one reason or another to go with something that is not EVM compatible. Um, we recommend EVM compatibility. But at the, at the end of the day, I don't think that's like the hill we must die on if there's a specific reason. I just touched on this before, but some of these other chains are very active with their business development efforts. So if it's like, hey, if they're going to pay you X and you know, that's your priority right now to fund the rest of the program. Like, I think it's something that we, um, we always want to empower our, our clients to make these decisions. Um, and I think decentral, we believe decentralization matters as well, but user adoption matters too. So um, I think it's balancing those scales, right? Of like, what is the, you know, total intended audience? Um, what is the risk? Um, and making the right decision uh, sort of like based on, a number of different factors. I don't think it's uh, so binary mm -hmm. in all cases. I guess, uh, Jason. Oh, sorry, to directly answer your question, do brands care about that? Um, um, almost maybe, in my experience. correct me if I'm wrong, but what I'm hearing is maybe they care more about, they know that most of the users and the purchasing power lives in Ethereum, and so they want to acquire those users. Like if you're a punk holder, then reasonably speaking, you can also be someone that can purchase a Porsche, for instance. So Porsche would naturally want to deploy where you have your wallet. Is that kind of the thinking today? I think that they're targeting Web3 natives with, if you want to make money, no question, you have to go on Ethereum. Like that would just be like, uh, it's so obvious to me right. that like you shouldn't even look anywhere else. If you're looking for, I think the nuance comes when you're looking at a more scaled yeah. approach, then you might consider something else. Um, hmm. uh, if that makes sense, Santi, hmm. I think you joined us a little bit late. We talked a lot about like targeting the web three natives. Absolutely. You must be hmm. there unless you're like really trying to tap into some like active Solana community or something. Um, but uh, I think that if you're looking for a broader approach, that's actually when, you know, you get more of like a flow argument. Yeah. And, and I, I think it's, and also like, so high value, that's where a lot of like digital art and high value digital art is also on ETH, I think. Um, but for, and again, it comes down to the goals and like, that's a very different category selling sort of a new kind of digital luxury item than it is to build a very um, like high touch mass adopter um, consumer platform, a community platform, sorry. And so then we've seen a lot of brands embrace Polygon there. Cause again, it is AVM compatible. Um, low fees, uh, very easy to build those uh, those that project. Whereas, as the Starbucks team says, like it's not their intention for these NFTs to necessarily be speculative or have any secondary market value. I mean, there may be because the nature of these assets is like because it's so transparent, there'll always be a market. Like someone will always be able to understand the market of it pretty transparently. But that's not the intention with these sort of like earnable loyalty stamps. It's really for engagement and it's really for being able to give the consumer like new benefits that weren't possible before through this sort of token gating interactive model. Um, and so I think that depends a lot on what chain. Um, and to what Avery said about Flow, like at the end of the day, Web3 is like a really bad house party right now. It's like people found out about it. It's like a college house party. Like it sounds really cool. People found out about it. There's a ton of people waiting outside to get in, but like it's hard to find. Your stuff might get stolen. You've no idea where the address is. There's no bartender. Like no one has a safe ride home. Like it's still very early, but the party's really like it, it's exciting. And so I'm hoping that like in this time before we get to, 
you know, a whether whatever it is, another bull market or more brands coming in to push mass adoption. That's sort of I think separate from the token prices. Um, I'm we'll we're figuring out the user journey now. Like we. Uh, like capital W, we crypto, we web three are figuring out, you know, what is that wallet solution? Is it multi-sig? Is it MPC wallets? How do you abstract that sort of write down your seed phrase and, but don't write it down one place, but don't tell anyone, but never forget it. And like, that's, it's a scary journey right now. And so hopefully when people do come back, it'll be, you know, great drinks, you could leave your shoes at the door. You know, you have a safe ride home. You know where all your stuff is. You can leave your bag in the floor. It's not going to get stolen. But we're just like not the tech is still working its way through that maturity cycle. And it's largely been an industry built by back end engineers that are finally working the way, their way it. up. The oh, heck. Oh, yeah, um, almost made it all the way through. <laughs> sorry. Um, but I was saying it's an industry basically built by back end engineers so far um, that are finally working their way up the stack to beautiful and elegant user experiences. And that's kind of like what we're at the very beginning of. Yeah. We have, uh, I know we only have a couple minutes left here. I want to just, every super interesting conversation, I will admit, like a lot of this feels very V1. Like I don't think what, I think this whole conversation has been very like, here's what's happening now. I want to actually maybe wrap this with like 60 seconds for each of you to kind of give like the five to 10 year vision. Like when is, I like, maybe that's, you know, you log into Nike, you like, there's no more like username and password on Nike's website. It's like, you just log in with the, your, your, you know, your MetaMask or something like that. I'm, so maybe Avery pick on you to go first, like 60 seconds. Like what is the bigger vision here? If you're a brand thinking about this and then Camilla, we can throw it to you to end. I think the bigger vision is this co-created internet where users are empowered to vote on decisions, to give their inputs um, in a way that um, is unprecedented. And this is going to allow uh, a new internet that is more personalized, that is more generative, that is more ownable, and thus is going to create this new relationship between um, what consumers love and them, right? So whether that's a brand or that's a band or that is... Um, a person that they're a fan of, I think this allows this whole like new generation of connectivity um, that is all driven by this sort of ethos of wanting to co-create the next version of the internet together. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of it actually does have to do with our increasingly digital lives and what folks call the metaverse is like, I don't know, but I, I, when I tell people, I spend like 15, 15 hours a day in the metaverse today. It's just across I don't know, 300 different websites and apps and Slack and email and gaming and e-commerce and everything. And it's a terrible experience. It's all text-based. And more importantly, like nothing in it I own yet. I don't own any of that. I don't own my data. I don't own the cookies. I don't own my experience. Like I own what physically I buy through the platform maybe, or like I might own subscriptions to software and stuff. But like in this world of actual digital ownership, like most of the things we own in our lives now are made by brands. And as our digital lives become increasingly experienced, I think, of course, a lot of the things we own are going to be made by brands as well. But I think it's just going to completely change the relationship between brand and consumer in a way that's much less value extractive, much more like co-creation, much more engaging, much more rewarding. And so it's, you know, logging on to British Airways to, to book my flight as a silver member and knowing that the, I prefer aisle and my food choice. And then also maybe having to book on American or, you know, United or a different area and them knowing that I'm a silver member in BA and then maybe offering me better discounts and, you know, trying to get me over to their platform in that way. And so I think the the collaboration opportunities is like kind of hard to, to predict because they're pretty limitless once you can do, once you can sort of own digital brand items for the first time. Yeah, uh, and that's what is really exciting. <laughs> And one other thing I'll throw on is this like more ownable internet that you can, that allows the personalization. It all kind of like works together. Yeah. Wallet connect everywhere on everywhere. every website. The whole internet. Yeah. <laughs> well, Avery, uh, Camilla, this was, this was awesome. I think this is a really good primer on like basically how should brands think about web three? How are brands thinking about web three? I have a feeling we'll do this again in like six to 12 months. Once, all of the things that you are working on today have been announced and are out in the public. So really excited about this. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming on Empire. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks, guys. Thank you.